0: Our scripture comes from John 1, 19 through 34 this morning. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, "'Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself?' John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, "'I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord.'" Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, "'Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet?' I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one, the Word of God.
1: So the unofficial title I have for this sermon, the the official one is, you know, prepare, John the Baptist, Jesus gets baptized. Very, very formal. The unofficial one is, who do you think you are? (laughs) Uh, which said in different tones can mean different things, right? I mean, uh, when one of our kids is, you know, mouthing off to their mother, and, and, and you say, I'm not going to name the kid, but you say, you know, who do you think you are talking to your mother like that, right? Uh, you're like, oh, that, that hits a little different, right? And, and then we have in this verse, we have these religious leaders, these powerful people, and they're coming to John the Baptist, and they're simply saying, who do you think you are? You're out here baptizing people, you're out here doing this, what, what is going on? And uh, It really is, I think, in our own lives, uh, and we'll get into the, the scripture more in a minute, but it really is in our own lives, I think, uh, a rough question to ask. Who are we? A stranger comes up to you, someone's sitting next to you on the plane, you know, who, who are you? It, it's so tempting to just answer with a job. Or, or maybe a job we used to have back in a, I don't know, different lifetime, feels like. Uh, not really. I'm not, like, teaching that. <laughs> but it you know, feels like a different lifetime, right? Um, and and it's, it's just hard. It's like, do, do we just identify ourselves with a career? Do I, do I start talking about my children, or do you start talking about your grandkids, or, or, or how do we answer this question? Who do we think we are? Who are we? Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like I might answer that question different every single day, depending on how I'm doing, depending on how I'm feeling, depending on where I am. And I know people up here, I've heard it quite a bit, when they start talking about their identity, they start talking about how long they've lived in this area. You know, it's a very common one. Who are you? Oh, we've been here for 15 years okay, <laughs> okay. Or, or we've had a cabin up here for a long time. We love vacationing here. I've vacationed here since I was a kid. You know, we're, uh, we're part-time, we're full-time. You know, we have all these, these identity things, but what does it really mean? Who are we? If, if somebody comes up to us and says, uh, who are you? Really? Deep inside. It's not the easiest question to answer. And here we are in this sermon series. We, we took a few weeks off because I was recovering from uh, surgery, so thank you all for the prayers. Uh, I'm up here, I'm upright. Uh, I have a friend who's a pastor down in Simi Valley. He like tweaked his back yesterday. And he's preaching from a stool this morning, so I feel better than him. So uh, I won't say it to him, but you know, I'm not feeling bad. Uh, so we're in this third week of this sermon series, and uh, to catch you up a little bit, we're looking at John the Baptist, uh, which is really kind of this unsung hero. He is in all four Gospels. He's, he's clearly important. I think the Church thinks he's important. Um, it, certainly the Gospel writers thought he was very important, um, but he often just gets overlooked. And, and some of that is actually beautiful, because his whole message was to step to the side and to point people towards Jesus. Uh, so we're not actually doing too bad when we overlook him and look at Jesus. Uh, but it is important to look at this because uh, in a lot of ways, John the Baptist is, is kind of what we're called to be like. You know, He can be a good model. We're, we're called to also step to the side, to get out of the way. I don't know how many of you have ever felt like you've been in the way of, of Jesus in someone else's life. Uh, I have. You know, where all of a sudden you're talking to someone and you're like, feeling like uh, you want to start talking about who Jesus is, and and then they start talking about something, I don't know, from what you were like in high school or something, and you're like, ooh, I'm kind of getting in the way of Jesus here. Whoops. You know, (laughs) but yet we're we're called to kind of step away, to step to the side, to point people towards who the Savior truly is. Uh, So I think John is really important to look at. So why don't we uh, just walk through uh, these verses. We're in John chapter 1. Uh, We'll start at verse 19. Uh, and I think there's a ton of really good stuff going on here, so uh, let's just draw attention to it. Verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Now let's pause right there. So what are we supposed to be looking at? What This text gives us a hint here. What, what are we supposed to be looking at? seeing through it, and here's what it is, right? In verse 19, the whole point of this entire passage is that John is going to give us a testimony about who Jesus is. This actually isn't how the other gospel writers write about Jesus baptism. They focus a lot more on Jesus, which is, which is fine, uh, but I kind of like what, what uh, you know, the gospel writer John does here, who is not John the Baptist. It's a different John, uh, and it's not me. Uh, so there's a lot of Johns going on here. Uh, but but we're going to look here, we're going to see what is the focus? What is uh, this testimony that he's pointing to? Who does, who does John say that Jesus is? And what can we learn from that? We also see here in verse 19 that John has been, has been attracting people to himself. Vast amounts of people. He's out in the wilderness now. He's, he's all grown up since last time. Uh, he's out in the wilderness, he's teaching, he's preaching, uh, and people are coming. They're coming to him, they're coming from the big cities out uh, into these small uh, areas, and uh, John is doing a really neat thing. And quite frankly, I, I didn't really get this like two years ago, but, but as I've been studying this passage, what, what John is doing is he's, he's like redoing the origin story of the people of Israel. So way back the beginning of the Bible, the book of Joshua, the, the people come out of Egypt, they're traveling all around with Moses, Moses passes away, Joshua's the new leader, and they're going to enter the promised land. And how do they enter the promised land? Through the Jordan River. So that, that's their start. That's when they became this people. They entered through the waters, and they, and they entered into the promised land, and they have not been living up to what God has called them to do. God has called them to be loyal to him. He's called them to be faithful. He's called them to be generous to other people. And they've been worshiping other gods. They've been seeking after other things. They've been, they've been trying to get, uh, actually right now they're, they're being kind of controlled by the Roman Empire and, and they're trying to get authority in the Roman Empire. Some of them want to start rebellions. Other than them want to, want to become like Roman leaders. And they're worshiping these other gods. And and they've abandoned uh, the God of their ancestors. And John is calling them back out. He's saying, don't stay this way. Come back out to the Jordan. You're going to re-enter these waters. That's what John's baptism is all about. You're going to re-enter this water, and you're going to come back into the land as new people. We're going to restart this whole thing. I think it's just beautiful. It's just a beautiful thing that's happening. So so he's calling them out, and and he's getting attention. Right, because all of a sudden there's this rogue leader. He's out. Who does he think he is? Right? Who does he think he is that he's that he's calling our people out of our cities, out of our uh, out of our country, and he's going to restart? Who who does he think he is? Doing that? Can you imagine the religious leaders? It, it's not, it's not like they don't have other leaders. Like, like why are you seeking after this John the Baptist guy? You know. So so we read right here in verse 19 that not only are the religious leaders a little confused, they're going to send a delegation. And, and this is coming from, from way up high, coming right from the temple. They're going to send a delegation out there of priests and Levites, and their job is to figure out who this John the Baptist thinks he is. And they don't just mean generically. They're looking in the Old Testament. They're looking for clues of, of things that are to come, and and, and who, who is he? Uh, and that's really what the rest of this passage is. It's four questions that John receives, and and we're going to look at how he answers them. Verse twenty. Speaking of John the Baptist, it says he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, "I am not the Messiah." Messiah is also the word Christ. Uh, so of course we have Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. He's, John the Baptist saying, "That's not me." I know you're looking forward to the Messiah. I'm, I'm just going to before they even ask the question, they're showing up and they already know John's saying he's not the Messiah. Verse 21, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. Okay, so why Elijah? Old Testament, prophet, first kings, if you want to look it up. <laughs> you know, and, and yet there's a ton of similarities going on. There's a reason their minds went to Elijah. Okay, let me, I'm going to just list a few, but if you, if you just Google search it, you'll get like 35 similar. It, there's a lot. Uh, so just five of them. Both of them are said to be anointed by the Spirit of God. So that's a big one. So the Spirit of God is doing something out in the wilderness here. Both of them actually live a life of solitude in the wilderness. That's a very Elijah-like thing he is doing by being out there. They wore the same kind of garments, and they lived really simple lives. So, so he even looks like Elijah. He's dressing like Elijah. He's, he's eating and living like Elijah. There's a lot of Elijah stuff going on here. Both were fearless in the rebuking of kings, in the rebuking of people in power. So not only did they draw people to themselves, they used that platform, and, and they spoke about injustice that was happening. They spoke about the things that the people that were in power, the people in were leadership were doing wrong. They actually use the platform they had to speak out against that. It's, again, a very Elijah-like thing, and as we continue this John the Baptist series, you're going to see where it ends, where John the Baptist ends up, right? And they both preached messages of righteousness, meaning that, that the people are not right with God. There's, there's something that's, that's hindering them, and, and they need to become right with God. So instantly, these, this delegation, they come and they say, Are you Elijah? There's also this other interesting thing in the, from the prophet Malachi. I'll just read it for you. This is Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. The see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day comes. You will turn the hearts of parents to their children, and the hearts of children to their parents. Or else I will come and I will strike the land with total destruction. All right. So this is after Elijah, well after Micah's, or yeah, Uh, he's a different prophet. He's speaking about a prophet of old, and he's saying kind of before the Messiah comes. There's going to be another Elijah. So they say, are you Elijah? Now, to get this straight, it is a little confusing in the text because some of the Gospels almost kind of refer to John the Baptist as Elijah. So, so if you listen to a bunch of sermons, you might hear some people say, yeah, he is Elijah, and other people say he's not. Well, Elijah is Elijah, and, and John the Baptist is John the Baptist. But we are told that he will come in the spirit of Elijah. He will be like Elijah. He will, he will even uh, act like Elijah. So so John says he's not, but he kind of is, but he's not. You know, he is, he is his own person. You know, so then it goes on. Are you the prophet? He says no. That's question number three. Are you the prophet? Anyone know what prophet they're talking about? Of course we don't. <laughs> of course we don't, because we would have to be so uh, saturated with the scriptures in order to understand this, right? I mean, this is, this is a big gap. But, but scholars are able to look at it, and they know which one he's talking about. And it's not just uh, a, a random one. Otherwise, they would have said his name. There's a prophet that Moses talked about who is going to come after him, who was going to be greater than him. So the tradition just want, went on to call this this expected one, the prophet. So they're saying, are you, are you the prophet? Are you the prophet Moses was telling us about? And he simply says no. Finally they said, this is verse 22, finally they said, who are you? I like that, they are just getting to the point now. Okay, we're going to stop guessing. Just tell us who you are. Give us an answer, we're going to take it back with us and and just say for yourself, who are you? And listen here to what John says. He points to another passage in the Old Testament. They've been guessing. They didn't guess from the prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. John just just says it uh, almost exactly, word for word. Chapter, or verse 23, John replied in his words, the prophet Isaiah. He said, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. And you know, of course we read that, it's a nice like Advent thing as we're leading up to, um, to Christmas. What is really fascinating here, this is actually how it worked in the ancient world, and, and I, I love this, so th- this is... It's boring to you, I'm sorry. But I think it's really cool. So in the ancient world, when a king was going to come to town, if they were a generous king, if they were a nice king, they would give the people a chance to become right. And what that means is they would literally send messengers ahead, sometimes just one, a few days, and they would show up in the town square and they would start to say, the king is coming. He is coming to your town." You, you, got, you got, like, trash in the streets. You got, like, rats running. you better got to clean up this place. The king is, and they would get to work. And they would start to clean. And it wasn't just physically that they would clean the place. You know what they would do is, is back then, you would owe the king a lot of taxes. You don't want that king to show up when you still owe him money. I mean, just put yourself in their place, right? Especially, especially the wealthier business people. That's what the warning is. This, this messenger showing up and he said, "You better get right with the king. You better get right because he's coming. So, to so run off and pay your taxes right now, like that, that's how it worked in the ancient world. And it was actually a generous thing for the king to do, because the other option is the king shows up and everyone owes him money. And how do you think that goes? It doesn't go well, right? So the king, in their own generosity, would send people days ahead." just to say, hey, you better get right. You better clean up this place. You better, get, you, better, you better be in a right relationship with the government here because the king is coming, and it's going to be bad for you if you're not. So, so that is what John the Baptist is actually doing here. It's a different way, but he has showed up before the Messiah, and he's saying, you better get right with God. The Messiah is coming. He's, he's coming to your town. And and all of you are seeking after other gods. You're chasing after fame. You're chasing after money. You're chasing after power and and political influence. And and it's not going to be good when he shows up. So so out of God's generosity, he has sent this messenger ahead. And and he's called them out to the river. And he said, you better enter into this water and come back new people. Because the king is coming. And you're going to want to be in a right relationship with God. God. You can't be living like your ancestors have been living. It's, it's not going to turn out well. So I, I just love it. It's just such a, a vivid image of what's happening, right? So, so here it is John, and he's the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Don't, don't be putting Jesus on some crooked road. <laughs> make straight the way for the Lord. You better make this path clean. <laughs> you, better, you better fix what's going on in your own life because Jesus is coming. And and when he's coming, it it doesn't mean uh, that that he's coming to to be angry, but but in his generosity, he has sent John the Baptist ahead. And and their people are flocking to him. It's it's not like he's sitting there preaching and there's one person listening. The crowds are coming, and they're being baptized, and just just hordes of people are there, and and they're listening, and they're, they're listening to the message, and they are getting right with God. Now it's the Pharisees' turn. So how this works, if you've never heard this before, uh, I've heard it explained this way, it actually works pretty well. So when we talk about like the Sadducees and, and the people in the temple and those people, actually, politically speaking, they're they're like left-leaning people in their time. I don't want to make it super political right now, but like that is what's going on. They're, they're actually, I mean, they're super far, but but they're there. And then the Pharisees are actually like the right-leaning people. And when you read it, that Jesus is not really uh, playing the games with any of them. You know, like he's not in either can. So, so now one, one group has had their chance to question him, and now, now the other group comes. It says the Pharisees have now come. And they said, then why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? So they asked a different theological: Why are you baptizing then? What gives you this authority? Verse 26, I baptized with water. John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. Jesus is in the crowd at this point. Among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Then we're told where this happens. It all happens in Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. Again, an interesting thing. So the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. You think John the Baptist is important? You're coming asking me if I'm the Messiah? I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You know who untied sandals? It it was deemed too low for anyone who was not a slave to untie someone else's sandals. Uh, how their political how their system works, how their teaching works, you know you I mean, you kind of know it because of Jesus, but you have like the rabbi, and then you have all the disciples, right? And there's other rabbis around and they have disciples. and and the system is it's kind of set up that like there can be a lot of abuse. there can be a lot of power going on, but one thing that would never be okay would be for a disciple to untie their rabbi sandals. And do you know why why they untie them? You're walking around; it's dirty. You got to wash their feet when they come into the house. But he's saying, "I'm not even worthy to wash his feet." You know, this is going to ring true later. What does Jesus do? He he washes his disciples' feet. Right? He puts himself into that lowly position. But but John uh, John here is saying, "I'm not I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm so much lower than him." The apostle Paul puts it this way in the book of Romans chapter 6 verses 3 through 5 Or do you not know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus were also baptized into his death We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father We may be raised to new life. For we have been united with him in death like his, and we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What a beautiful passage. It actually is partially partially speaking of this this baptism that, that Jesus is said to bring. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. It's not just going to be the Jordan River. That was good. It was a good restart. You know, let's get this thing going right. But Jesus, it's a baptism into his death. That's the imagery. Sometimes we kind of breeze over, because it sounds a little morbid. But but when we baptize into water, it's a watery grave. We're we're putting them uh, in their world, you know, the the surface of the world was, was kind of the other, and then there was, you know, essentially what they called the underworld. Well, underwater is, is also the underworld. But that's why when in the book of Jonah, he's sinking to the bottom of the ocean. He's sinking down into the grave, and, and right, God, God sends the, the whale, or the, the big fish. The Gadol is the Hebrew. I love it, because dog is fish. It's confusing. There's your trivia. <laughs> uh, and, and so we take people, and we place them down into the water, into Christ's death. And then they come back a new creation, a new life. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The next passage, I'm going to read through the whole thing, starting in 29. And again, notice how this baptism story of Jesus is different than the other Gospels. We're focusing on John's testimony. right? What does John have to say about who Jesus is? verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. He's already already started his testimony, right? Here's who he is. He's the Lamb of God. He's coming. Verse 32, then John gave this testimony. Thank you, Gospel writer John, for making it very clear. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So before he even started baptizing, he was told that there's going to be one that the Holy Spirit's going to come down on. It's going to to look like a dove at the time. It's going to remain on him. And you're going to see it. I don't know if everyone else saw it. It, I mean, from the other accounts, I mean, Jesus saw it. Uh, John the Baptist certainly saw it. And and John's John's testifying to the people. He's like, you know what I just saw? When When I baptized, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, came down and it didn't leave. It came down and it rested on him. And I was, I was told way before this all started that the one that that happens for, that that's my signal. That, that's my sign that this is the Messiah. This is the one. I just love this account. I, I, think, it's, I think it's beautiful in, in a different way because it focuses kind of on, on someone that I can relate to a little more. I don't know about you. I have a hard time relating to Jesus. Probably shouldn't try to do much, uh, but John the Baptist. I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I baptize people, uh, <laughs> and and I, I'm I'm fully fine stepping to the side and saying, you know, look at Jesus, don't look at me. Um, I'm I'm fully fine doing that, you know. I can kind of relate to him, and and you see it, and it's just what a beautiful thing. And and he points people, and and we're told that that some right that day, some of Jesus's main disciples started following him. They heard John say that, and they, and they left John and they went to Jesus. It, it, it was not only he was speaking it, but it was effective. <laughs> it, it was beautiful. But this whole passage brings me back to what I was talking about in the beginning, this, this question of who do you think you are? John had a pretty good answer quoted the Old Testament said who he was uh, said he was not who they, they thought he was know, he could have said oh yeah I'm the Messiah come to me if Jesus was tempted I, I think we can assume John was tempted right <laughs> uh, but he didn't and, and we live in this time where again it's really hard to define now, am, I, am I my job Am I what my job was? Am I where I live? Am I, am I all I am is that I'm married to my spouse or that I'm the parent of my kids? or uh, how, how do we say who we are? And, and it's a hard question, but I think we need to do a little bit like John the Baptist did. We need to look at Scripture. We need to look at Scripture to say, who, what, is, what does the Bible say that I am? Who, who am I in Scripture? So I'm, I'm going to read to you just back-to-back back six Bible verses here. And I want you to sit and just kind of absorb uh, these identity statements, who it's saying that we are. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, A people for God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What a beautiful identity statement that is. Gospel of John right here. Chapter 1 verse 12. But to all you who did receive him, meaning Jesus, to all you who did receive him, we believe in his name that he gave us the right to become children of God. If you've received him, he gave us the right to become children of God. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I mean, he's not directly doing it there, but again, it's that beautiful baptism language, right? The old has passed away. The idea here is, is I'm a terrible king of my own life. I'm so bad at it. You're so bad at it. That, that all you can do is lead yourself to death. And, and in, in a metaphorical way, God, God like speeds up the process. <laughs> this, this watery grave that you get back, that, that's where you're going anyway. That, that You're king of your own life, that, that's as good as you can get. So why don't, why don't we just jump ahead a few years, put you in, and pull you out as someone new, with a new king, Somebody that can actually lead you to life, out of the darkness, into the marvelous light. Again, here, Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 15. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. It says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. A friend of Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And the last one here, and of course the list could go on and on. Again, Google this one, you'll find a ton. 1 John 5, verses 11 through 12. I don't know if pastors are supposed to have favorite books of the Bible, but 1 John is mine. 1 uh, John 5, 11 through 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So who are you? Who do you think you are? Well, here it depends on if you have Jesus. There's different answers for different people. What, what, what direction are you? Are you, just, are you going to that? You're the king of your own life. You're just leading down to destruction. It doesn't take that long to figure it out. You start trying to be the king of your own life. It goes downhill quick. We don't have to live very long. I don't know. Get to junior high. It's rough enough. <laughs> you know, the rest of life is not, not any easier, Right? And especially if you're trying to rule it, you're trying to control it, you're trying to understand it all, you think you're smart enough, you think you're wise enough, you think you have enough experience, you think you understand everything. First of all, it's exhausting. Second of all, it's just leading you to, to that place. That's the whole process. And again, I just love that language in baptism. It's just like, yeah, let's just speed this up. <laughs> we know where this is going. We've got to die to that. John is a terrible king of John's life. So bad that we need to get rid of him. He he needs to go down into the grave so so that Jesus can be the new king. You know, part of what I really, I'll, I'll end with this, but part of what I really love about being a Christian is that it's not just as the old saying goes, a, a fire insurance policy. <laughs> You've heard that, right? <laughs> I didn't make it up. <laughs> it's, it's not just like a, a get out of hell free card. That's not, that's not what, it, I mean, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Celebrate, you know, like we, we get to live eternally with Christ. What a beautiful thing. Worshiping God, it's amazing. But, but that's not it. It matters right now, too. You see, because if you focus too much on that, then, then you just live however you want right now, it, as if you're not part of something, as if God isn't active right now doing things. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, you, I don't know about you, I grew up praying the Lord's Prayer all, all the time, and I prayed the line, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, so many times before it sunk in. <laughs> Wait, what am I praying? For God's kingdom to come down to earth? That, that's, that's bigger than the, the get out of hell free card, right? That You're praying for God's kingdom to start breaking into this world. I don't know about you, I look around the world, I'm like, yes, heaven, start breaking in here. And, and it's beautiful, and I've mentioned it here before, but I, I grew up confused on why Jesus was a magician. Anyone else? Why is he performing miracles? <laughs> like, why, why, why is Jesus like out there, like healing people, doing the, like? Isn't that like magic? But it's not. What's going on is, is there's bits of heaven that he's breaking into earth. The sickness is disappearing because because heaven is invading that space. Well, the people are hungry. Well, well, heaven has abundance. Here, let's 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 spread. Uh, this bread and this fish, and we'll feed everyone. It's bits of heaven breaking in. And, and it's a beautiful thing, because actually what Scripture calls us to is to be a part of that. To do that in each other's lives. To do that in, in the lives of the people around us. It's really beautiful. I love it. You know, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. It, it's mentioned several times in Scripture. So, so what does it look like for me to break uh to break in, well, the, the fruit says it looks like love. And it looks like joy. And peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Those are bits of heaven. Because they're not from the world. Self-control? Are you kidding me? You know, you start, you're like love, you're like, okay, I can do that. By the time you get to the end, you're like, gentleness and self-control? In this traffic? (laughs) In this line at Big Trees Market, you want me to have what? But if you do, it's amazing. I was was talking to someone the other day, and and they were over at the market right here. and, And they got up to the checkout line. It's a true story. And they asked the person, you know, how are you doing today? And they just broke down. And, and they, they said, oh, you know, whatever. And, and apparently they had been yelled at like four times that day. Person working the checkout line. That, that's not bits of heaven. tell you that much. But, but to come and to say, how are you doing today? You know why she broke down? Because there was a piece of heaven that came. There was a piece of God's peace. Somebody cares about me. Somebody, somebody listens to me. This, this person is not unique. I've had so many times in my own life, maybe just recently, where, where you show someone a, a bit of, of goodness, a bit of kindness, and it's, it's like something new in their life. Church, this is exciting. We get to do that. We're not just waiting for, the, for when the day comes. Like we, get to, we get to break heaven into people's lives. What a beautiful thing. And, and what a wonderful calling. And we've been praying it the whole time. <laughs> right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth, as it is in heaven. It is already like that in heaven. And it is not like that in Arnold. And, and that should break our hearts, but it, it also should break should drive us to action. We get to be those people. I I just love it. Final thing. I don't know who needs to hear this. And it, it sounds funny at first, but stick with me. But God doesn't need you to do that mission. Now, don't be too distraught. (laughs) God doesn't need you, but he wants you. He wants to work alongside you. He's created you for this. He's given you gifts and abilities and talents. This is is not some stagnant faith that we look at some ancient book and and I come up and I give a TED Talk every week. That was supposed to be a joke, but none of you laughed, so that's fine. (laughs) That, that, that's not what we're doing. This is, this is big. And, and you are his beloved child. And he knows you. You know those parts of you that, that you don't want other people to know? He knows it. He knows all of you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And what's even better is that he loves you. <laughs> he loves you more than you could ever imagine. So that's who you are. I don't know, if, I mean, we, we kind of try to define it, but, but that's, that's who you are. You're God's beloved child, and he knows you more than you could ever know yourself, and yet he still loves you more than you could ever know.